Well, good morning. Welcome to Cape Bible Chapel. So glad that you're here. I prayed for you to show up, and looky there, here you are. We're in the middle of this big, big study through the Gospel of Luke, so grab your Bibles and join me, if you would. Luke chapter 4, we'll finish up today, verses 42 to 44, and then we're going to focus a good bit of time on the beginning of chapter 5. Look through verses 1 through 11. And that's this great account, this neat account, where we see exercising authority. Jesus is exercising the authority God has given him. We talked about last week. And he's going to show that authority in actually calling the first disciples to follow him. And as we look at this, we're going to get a great sense from the passage this week about Jesus' commitment to his purpose. When we know what we're supposed to be about, we should be able to articulate that. And then we can develop a purpose statement. And that explains what we intend to do. Now here at the chapel, we have a purpose statement. And we stole ours straight from the Bible. It's a good place to steal from. And here it is. I'm going to put it up on the screen. We want to pursue Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 to 29. The Apostle Paul indicates this. We proclaim him. This is Jesus Christ. We proclaim Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, Paul says, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So that's the Apostle Paul's purpose statement. And we thought it was so good, we borrowed it. So as we seek God to guide our mission here at the chapel and and to help us accomplish his vision for this local church, those things can't be separated from this purpose statement. We're not doing it right. So Paul has a purpose. This church has a purpose. For sure, God has a purpose regarding us, regarding his creation, regarding humanity. And God's purpose was to send his son to become a man and be God with us so that he could reconcile us, sinful people, back to the holy God who created us. So Jesus came here on earth to live this perfect sinless life as an example, and then to voluntarily go to the cross, bear the weight for all our sin, my sin, your sin, past, present, future sin, all that sin, and then to conquer it, to defeat that sin and death, and then rise again and ascend to go to heaven and establish this eternal kingdom, which you and I can be part of which we're guaranteed to be a part of as soon as we profess faith in Jesus. So Jesus shares this clear purpose with his Father. And we see in the Gospels, he's just sold out to it. So having a purpose, knowing our purpose, being all in with our actions and our attitudes, our whole heart, that's critically important for us as Christ followers. But let's be honest, sometimes we get sidetracked. It's easy to have other things come in and fight for our attention and our time and so we can get pulled away from that purpose that God has for us. That's not good. We'll see that happen to Jesus right at the beginning of this study today. There's some selfish people that are going to come and try and pull him away from his purpose, but he would not be distracted. Wish I could say the same all the time. (laughs) Been thinking a lot lately about my life before I answered God's call to full-time ministry. I used to own and manage a sporting goods store. And when you work in an environment like that, you have to have one kind of clear purpose above everything else. You want to stay in business, right? You want to make some money so you can accomplish other goals. 
You want to provide you know, great customer service and, and a good working environment. And you want to serve in the community. Those things are great. But if you can't keep the doors open, you can't do those things. But here's just a little confession I need to make. And, and I already shared this in the nine, so I'm a little better about it now. But, but this is one of those things. I, I've got just the tiniest little bit of OCD, just a little bit of obsessive compulsive disorder. And if I didn't tell you, I don't think you'd ever notice. Probably the only person who would know would be my wife. But, but here's the thing where I kind of stress. I have to have all the light switches in my house on every panel facing the same direction before I go to bed. I don't know if that's a big deal for you or not. And, and as long as I'm confessing, I've got to tell you, it's not just my house. I have to do it downstairs in the conference center, too. I don't know if you've been down there or not. There's three light switches by every door, and, like, there's three on each panel, and they all control the room. And if, like, two of them are down and one of them's up over here, and one of them's down and two of them are up over here, I, I can't allow that. I have to walk around the room and get all the light switches to go the same way. I feel so much better now that I've shared that. Like, you know me a little bit more, and that may be a bad thing. But, but so I have just this little bit of OCD, and it used to come out at this sporting goods store where I worked. And it came out in one particular area, other than the light switches. And it was the bat racks. We used to sell bats. We'd sell baseball bats and softball bats. And so there were three big racks of bats. There was an adult baseball and a little league and a softball. And so during the baseball season, they'd get messed up really bad. And so every day I'd go over and I'd organize the bat racks. And I'd sort them, you know, by length and brand, and I'd face all the labels out, and I'd spend all this time. But then when I got done... I wouldn't want anybody to touch the bat racks. <laughs> Be like, no, 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 those look good. Let's leave those just like they are. Well, what's the obvious problem with that? If somebody wants to buy a bat, they want to touch it, right? They want to pick the bat up and swing it and compare it to the other bats, and they'd never put them back the right way. So frustrating. Now, serious question. Which is more important, having the bat racks be nice and organized or selling bats so you can stay in business? Is that a brainer? It's a no-brainer. But I'd lose focus. I'd forget what the big picture purpose of being in business was because I wanted things to be the way I wanted them to be. So I'd get distracted from my purpose. Now that happens in our lives, if we're honest. And it happens in our ministries. And hear me clearly on this. If you're here today and you're a Christ follower, you are a minister. The Bible indicates that. The Bible calls us saints and laborers and ambassadors and a royal priesthood. So you can't sit there and think, well, it's only the folks who get paid to do ministry who have a ministry. That's not accurate. In our lives, if we're Christ followers, each one of us needs to be able to evaluate the gifts that God has given us through the Holy Spirit and use those gifts in ministry. Join God in accomplishing the purpose that he has for our lives. And today we're going to see from this passage in Luke, there's lots of opportunities to do good things. But Jesus is going to show us and show this crowd that's following him and show these first disciples that some things have to take priority. Jesus is going to stay on task and accomplish his purpose. He's going to have to be willing to forgo some good things to accomplish the very best thing, to accomplish his purpose for coming, which we said is to reconcile people back to God so we don't spend eternity separated from him. These two big things we'll see Jesus sold out to here in this passage and then over 
and over again in the Gospels are preaching and evangelism. Those are the two things. Teaching and fishing for men. Those are the two big reasons why Jesus came. Now, we look at his life. Did he also do some healing? Sure. But was that a priority over preaching the gospel? No. And so as Christ followers, if we honestly want to orient our our lives in the way where God gets the most glory, then it stands to reason we should align our lives with these two big purposes that Jesus emphasizes in this passage, teaching and evangelism. So let's walk through this text and see how Jesus commits to this purpose and how he handles distractions. And then we're going to pay attention to how we can apply these things that we learn in our lives. So let's start there at the end of chapter 4. We'll read verses 42 to 44. When day came, Jesus left. And he went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him, and they came to him, and they tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Why? For I was sent for this purpose. So Jesus can't forego his main purpose to stay there and keep teaching in Capernaum. He can't forego his main purpose to heal everybody in that area. So verse 44, so he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now if you remember from last week, Jesus just came off a really, really, really long, hard ministry day, right? He was preaching in the synagogue to start. And maybe some of you aren't aware of this. If you haven't done it, it, it'd be hard for you to know. But I'm just going to tell you, teaching and preaching wears you out. It's just physically really, really draining. Now, it's wonderful, hear me, it's wonderful to be used by God that way, but it kind of wipes you out, both emotionally and physically. And then a lot of time when you get done, people come up and they have questions, and they need some clarification, and they have prayer requests, and all those things are phenomenal. It's such a blessing. I love people coming up after the service and talking about the things that God is teaching them. I had the greatest question here last week from a young guy I just met on Saturday, and he was here at the service on Sunday, and he came up and asked me afterward, hey, what does it mean to have a kingdom view in our lives? Because I'd mentioned it in the sermon. It was just so encouraging to see him engaging. So I love the questions. I love the chance to pray for people. But then those things require that you pour yourself out in ministry, right? And not just me, but you guys too. Because you've got to remember, when we come together like this to worship, it's not about what we get. It's about what we give back to God. We're ministers. It's supposed to be about how we use those gifts that he's given us to bring him glory and build the body. So if we're Christ followers, we're supposed to pour ourselves out. So here in this text, Jesus is preaching on the Sabbath. That's draining to begin with. And then there's all this other stuff going on. He's dealing with demons. He's casting them out with authority finally gets to leave the synagogue, what happens? He goes to Peter's house. His mother-in-law is sick. He has to heal her. Well, then word gets out about that, and what happens? There's an emergency room hanging out in front of Jesus. Heal us. Heal us. And so this is a long, hard day. What does he do? Here's a great application point. Straight from Jesus' example in verse 42. After he pours himself out, he makes time to go and get filled back up again. He intentionally goes out to seek rest and recovery and get filled up in solitude. 
after we pour ourselves out in ministry, that's what we need to do. I'm going to ask this question. When's the last time you had intentional solitude? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on this, but let me clarify something first, okay? I'm not talking about isolation. (laughs) I'm not talking about hiding from people. That's not good. We were created by God to be in relationship. So you don't want to go just be alone. Isolated people don't join churches. Isolated people don't join small groups. They don't go looking for discipling relationships. You, you can be married and be isolated, but you're not having deep, meaningful conversations. So I'm not talking about that. Isolation's not good. Solitude is different. Solitude is intentional time away from people to go and be with God. And I'd make the case solitude really is necessary if you're pouring yourself out in ministry. So if you're practicing being engaged, you're in a small group, you're serving, you're discipling, you're using your gifts, occasionally, intentionally, you're going to step out and withdraw, like Jesus did here, to a quiet place. And then you get to practice some of the disciplines you may not usually do. Disciplines like being still. Disciplines like listening to hear God's still, small voice. Praying, journaling, resting. These are good things. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Raise your hand for me. If you've done this, if you've taken a day or even half a day or even a few hours to intentionally spend time alone with God in the last six months, raise your hand. Okay, that's what I was afraid of. I'm so thankful that, that some of us are doing this. When I was on Young Life staff, my boss would make us. <laughs> it was supposed to be a mandate that everybody on staff in the area would take four solitude times a year, one per quarter. And I would always get in trouble. As, in, as incredible as they were, as refreshing as they were, I'd take one after I, I got nailed for missing the first three. One solitude day. I wouldn't know what my excuse was. Well, I'm really busy. I'm just so busy running around doing ministry. Can't take the time to stop and get filled up. Is that a good excuse? Did Jesus try to use the I'm really busy excuse? Here in Luke 4, Jesus comes off this marathon ministry day. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's healing. He's casting out demons. What did he do because of that kind of schedule? He took some time in solitude. Are we more important than Jesus? World's going to stop spinning if I go take a few hours to be alone with God? I don't think so. People, listen, if, if we're pouring ourselves out in ministry, we should be engaging in this discipline. Again, I'm so thankful that some are. If you're not, I can probably tell you why. If you're not doing it, you're, you're probably going to blame it on the fact, well, I'm just not wired that way. Now, there are really only two kinds of people when it comes to engaging in these spiritual disciplines. There are people who are called contemplatives, and then there are people who are activists. And the names kind of give away, you know, the definition. If you're contemplative, you like to contemplate. You're a, you're a feeler, and you love to, to get away and think. And so this idea of a time of solitude really fits for you. 
If you haven't been doing this, you're thinking about doing it right now. So please wait at least till the end of the service. But, but make sure you schedule some time, you know, where you're going to go and pour yourself, fill yourself back up after you've been poured out. But on the other hand, if you're an activist, then what? You're active. You're a doer. You're on the move. You probably actually are engaged in ministry. You're serving somewhere. And it just feels so unnatural for you to stop and take the time to refuel. It's foreign to you. Now let me ask you this. Was Jesus a contemplative or was he an activist? It's a trick question. He's Jesus. He's both. You know that, right? But we just saw he had this huge pouring out ministry day. Jesus is a doer. And so what does he do next? He seeks solitude. We need to do that. And let me go ahead and warn you on this because it is so amazing. It's, it's an oasis in the middle of a desert sometimes. It is so helpful that Satan or your flesh or this world will fight to have you not do it. And for sure you're going to run into two obstacles. There's probably more. But two I can guarantee. So let me help you with these. And if you know how to deal with these, I think we can actually do it. Number one is technology. Technology will keep you from finding solitude. I won't make you raise your hand on this one, but just be honest with yourself. How long can you be without your phone? How long can you be without your tablet or your laptop? How long do you go without checking Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or Kick or whatever thing you're doing? Do me this favor, and you'll be doing yourself a huge favor as well. Put down your technology and get your Bible and a journal, and unplug. Go spend some time alone with God. Technology's killing our ability to be still and silent before God. Don't let it. Number two, this is just practical. We don't plan it. We don't plan solitude time. I don't need to spend a lot of time there. It's just the truth. If we don't plan it, it won't happen. And I can't do it for you, so look at your schedule and figure out when you got a little bit of time and schedule it. Go and be with God. Jesus practiced the discipline of solitude because it helped him focus on his purpose. And so we need to do that too. Now, here's what's going to happen. Look back in this passage. What happened to Jesus is probably going to happen to us when we engage in this discipline. The second part of verse 42 after Jesus goes and he's trying to spend some time alone in solitude, the crowds freak out. And they go out looking for him. They try to selfishly get him to abandon his purpose. Oh, Jesus, we need you to stay with us. We love how you teach, Jesus. We need you to heal us. What if those demons come back? I know, Jesus. Why don't you start a church right here? Why don't you start a hospital right here, Jesus? Oh, I know what we can do. Let's rent an old stadium and we'll get some smoke machines and a big spinning globe, and you can come and preach to tens of thousands of people. Jesus tells them, thanks, but no thanks. Now let's be honest. Are those bad things? Starting a church, bad thing? Healing people, a bad thing? Casting out some more demons there in Capernaum? Is that a bad thing? No. But were those things Jesus's primary purpose? No. So these folks, in their, in their zealousness, in their selfishness, they're trying to hinder Jesus from accomplishing 
his purpose. And he says, nope, I can't help you. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities as well, for I was sent for that purpose. And there's some great application there for us too. We need to follow God's call on our lives. If God calls us to do something, if we're confident in that call, if we've been affirmed in that call, then we can't let even good things come in and distract us from that purpose. I think in our lives, we've got to be careful about this and make sure that we don't end up pursuing our potential or pursuing something we could do, maybe even do well, if it's not the primary thing that God wants us to do. When God shows us our chief purpose, that's what we need to do, is focus on that purpose for his glory. And maybe you're sitting there and you're asking, gosh, James, where do I get this call on my life? How do I hear from God like that? And I'm going to ask again, are you spending any time in solitude with God? Because that's an awfully good place to hear from him. So Jesus says, my primary purpose is to preach the kingdom of God. That kingdom is an eternal kingdom that folks will not be a part of unless they profess faith in Jesus. So he goes, I got to go. I got to go preach this gospel. I got to go cast this gospel net so that people know how to receive the free gift of salvation. That's the purpose that Jesus has. And that should guide our purpose. It should be our primary purpose as well. So let's see how this plays out there in the beginning of chapter 5. We're going to see Jesus calling his first disciples. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them, and they're washing their nets. So Jesus draws crowds, right, everywhere he goes. And, and sometimes people came for selfish reasons. It's not always easy to guess what somebody's motivation is for showing up. But what do they get, even if they came selfishly? They get to listen to the Word of God. Because Jesus was always true to this purpose statement. He was preaching. And so he's standing by this lake. It's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds are pressing in on him, right? And he sees his buddy Peter, and he's closing up shop. Peter's a fisherman by trade. From the context of this passage, we know he'd been out fishing all night, and now he's done. And we know that because he's washing the nets. That's the equivalent, you know, of shutting off the lights and locking the door if you're in business. You're saying, I'm going home. Peter isn't even really paying attention to Jesus here. He's just wrapping up his work day. At best, he's multitasking. He's like, yeah, I'm listening to you, Jesus, while he's washing the nets. But Jesus sees this great opportunity here. So look what he does in verse 3. Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Peter's, and he asked him to put it out a little way from the land. And he sat down there and began teaching the people from the boat. Now, this is intentional. Jesus accomplishes two really, really neat things here. We've got to see. First, the crowds are pressing in around him, right? So by getting out on the boat, he's going to take advantage of this natural acoustic effect that happens when you're on the water because he wants the whole crowd to be able to hear him. I don't know if you guys understand this. The guys in the sound booth do. When a bunch of you are in here as opposed to nobody in here, it sounds different. Sound waves don't travel through people. I see people nodding their head. We absorb sound. And so with people pressing in on him, the only people that are going to hear him 
of those people right around him. And he's come to teach and preach. And so he goes out on the water. It's like he hooked up a microphone. You've probably noticed that effect before if you've been on the water. We're so blessed this summer. I have good friends here at the church, and, and they let us stay at their lake house at Kentucky Lake for a few days this summer. And Trace and I would go out real early in the morning when it was real still and quiet, and we'd kayak out on the lake. And we'd be out there in the middle of the lake, and you, you could hear people clear across on the other shore, and they weren't shouting, right? They are just talking in their normal voice. And that water carries it. It's like a speaker system. Well, Jesus created everything. He knows this. So he plugs into this sound system on the Sea of Galilee so we can get that personal space. And then he resumes his teaching so that everybody can now hear. Look what happens next, verses 4 and 5. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. This is so great. Simon answered, he said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I'll do as you say and let down the nets. Now, you've got to remember at this point in time, Jesus and Peter know each other, right? This call for Peter and the others to follow Jesus, we're going to see here in a minute. Jesus didn't walk up to total strangers this time and just say, follow me. He knows these guys. Peter has been hearing Jesus teach. He's seen him do miracles. And so Peter calls Jesus master in this passage. That's really important. It's the Greek word epistates. And by definition, this word indicates that Peter recognizes Jesus' authority even more than the actual instruction that Jesus gave. Now, I love Peter in the Bible as an example because he goofs up so much. It makes me feel better about myself. But this time, it's almost understandable why he'd question Jesus. Because the instruction here doesn't make any sense to Peter. So he grumbles just a little bit. But ultimately, he says, okay, Jesus, you're the epistates, you're the authority. So Peter obeys even though the instruction makes no sense. Well, let's think about the context here. What was Peter by trade? He's a commercial fisherman, right? Peter, like all the Jewish boys back at that age, he would have been separated out, probably the best way to say it, at, at a real young age. All Jewish boys were supposed to be engaged in studying the Torah, kind of working their way through rabbinical school. But it worked a little different for us. Like, we go to school, and if we don't get A's, we get C's, we still get to keep going on, right? Rabbi school, it didn't work that way. The only way you continued to move on is if you were elite. You had to be the best of the best to continue to move on. If you weren't the best of the best, they encouraged you to join the family business. And that's what Peter did. Without a doubt, he, he came from a family of fishermen. They knew fishing. He flunked out of rabbi school, and so he comes and he joins the family business. Fishing, he knew about. That was his area of expertise. Now stop and think just for a second, what was Jesus by trade before his chief purpose became teaching the gospel, preaching about the kingdom of God? He was a carpenter, right? So in essence, Peter is saying about Jesus' instruction there in verse 4, Really? We just fished all night, which is the best time to catch fish in the Sea of Galilee. You'd know that if you're a fisherman. And we caught a big boat full of jack squat. We got nothing. And we're tired. 
And we just closed up shop. We, we washed the nets. I'll tell you what, Jesus. If this was a question about woodworking, I'd totally defer to you on this. But, but, but this is fishing. I know fishing. I was building a fishing boat. Yeah, I'd ask for your help. But, but since you're the authority, I'll only grumble a little bit. And then I'll obey. Have we ever done something like that? God's gifted us with this natural gift or this talent, and we're just confident that we know how to use it in the very best way. So God comes along and he shows us a different way, a better way to bring him glory with that talent. And what do we say? I'm good. I got this, Jesus. You ever done that? I believe that's exactly what Peter is doing here. And so it leads him to question Jesus just a little bit, but then he obeys. And look what happens verses 6 to 9. When they had done this, they let out the nets. They enclosed a great quantity of fish. And their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they'd taken. I love this passage. Peter's seen other miracles, right? He's seen the healing that Jesus done. This miracle hits him in a totally different way, right? Much, much deeper. And I think it's because of his brief objection. Because he knew so much about fishing and where all the fish should be and when to catch them and now what's happened. His reliance on himself has been completely wiped out by the epistates, the authority. We need to be willing to do this in our lives. We need to be willing to let go of other things, even good things, even our business if we need to. Even the things we like to do, the things we're good at, we need to be willing to let them go in order to obey Jesus order to obey his authority, in order to be aligned with his purpose for coming to this earth. Peter, the fisherman, just got schooled. Not simply by Jesus the carpenter, but by Jesus the authority of God. And now he's got the biggest catch of fish ever. Breaking the nets. Peter has to call his business partners, James and John, a couple other rabbi school dropouts, to fetch the other boat to bring in this load. They're absolutely amazed. Peter is literally floored by Jesus. Look at verse 10. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. They're amazed like Peter is. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. Don't miss this. This is a significant change in Peter's life. From being the least of the least academically to now being called by the master who has authority to put aside the family business and align his purpose with God's purpose. Is commercial fishing a bad thing? Owning a sporting goods store a bad thing? Whatever God has us doing as a career, should we all quit today and go out and become pastors and evangelists? No. Unless, unless God calls us to do it, 
then we can grumble a little bit, I guess, like Peter does, but, but we need to obey. Now, I'm pretty sure the reality is we don't need to leave our careers to become fishers of people. There are plenty of people in our fishing hole right where we are, at our workplace, at our school, at the gym, wherever we go. What God is telling us is we really shouldn't be able to claim anything above this purpose. There's going to be no higher purpose than calling people to join in with this gospel net that Jesus is, ca- is casting. That's the thing that he wants us to do. That's what he desires for us as Christ followers, is to align our purpose with his purpose. And stop leaning in on our own abilities. Stop leaning in on the things that give us comfort. If we love Jesus, honestly, we can have no greater purpose in our lives than this to follow him into the catching people business. Jesus wasn't just a carpenter. He was a fisherman too. But he was fishing for men. And this is so fascinating. The Greek word for catch there in verse 10, it's the word zogreo. And it literally means this, get this, to capture alive. It's a neat word. This explains the effects of the gospel. Peter was used to catching live fish, and then they die, right? And Jesus says, let's totally flip that scenario. From now on, you'll be about catching spiritually dead people, and I'm going to make them alive. That's the call for Peter. Truly, that's the call for all of us as Christ followers. Evangelism is not something we get to choose to do if we happen to be wired to be extroverts. That's not it. We're supposed to be pouring out in this ministry. So what does Peter do? And we're going to see James and John get in on this call as well. Look at verse 11. When they brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Do we truly get what that means? These guys left everything to follow Jesus? We just saw the folks at Capernaum at the end of chapter 4. They wanted to hinder Jesus from accomplishing his purpose. Oh no, Jesus, don't go. Stay here and preach to us and heal us. You don't need to leave. Here Peter has in his hands, in his boat, literally the greatest catch of fish ever. It's going to be his biggest payday ever as a fisherman. He's working the family business and he's, he's just struck gold. He's going to bring in the catch and walk away. And this literally would be like being a prospector and you're out all day swinging the pickaxe and you finally hit a vein of gold and it's the mother load. You set down your axe and you walk away. Are we willing to leave everything? Are we willing to de-emphasize the things that we have made so important in order to follow Jesus? in order to join him in his purpose to teach and preach and evangelize? You ever been sucked into one of those high-level sales presentations? They want to sell you a condo or a timeshare or something like that. You ever go out to buy a big-ticket item? You buy a house or a car? When you're sitting there and you're walking through that process, as you're trying to digest all that information, isn't there always a question that's rolling around in the back of your head? What's it going to cost? 
Well, this is really nice. You know, that timeshare looks great. Well, that's a really sweet car. Looks fast. Man, that's a beautiful view from the deck on the back of that house. But what's it going to cost? Here's one of the things I love about Jesus. He never bothers trying to spin the message, does he? He doesn't sugarcoat the words. He says, to join me, to align with my purpose, to be about teaching and preaching and about the kingdom of God, it's going to cost you everything. Everything. Because we'll have to take anything that we've made a priority and be willing to put it under his authority and then allow him to order our priorities. We need to shift our focus from success in whatever it is that we're pursuing Right? For Peter, James, and John, it's success in the fishing business. And instead, we need to say, okay, now I'm going to pursue success in the catching spiritually dead people so they can be alive in Christ business. We can see from this passage in Luke, Jesus was clear about his purpose, right? To teach and preach about the gospel, about the good news that he was the way for sinful fallen people to be reconciled the God who created him. And so that's what he was going to do. He was going to go and he was going to cast that gospel net, make those spiritually dead people have eternal life. It's very, very fitting. We're going to close our service together today by taking communion. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when when we take the communion elements, what we're doing is symbolically remembering that those represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And if we remember that, we can remember his purpose. We can remember the sacrifice that was made. We can remember that God had to answer that question. What's it going to cost for me to reconcile these people back to myself? And you know the answer. It's everything. It's himself and the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and he was willing to pay it. He's willing to pay it for you and for me and for every person who professes faith in Jesus. So if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, please celebrate communion with us. Take this time, this opportunity to be with God, examine your heart, confess your sin, and then come and partake. If you're new with us, the communion elements are all around the room on the tables, and we'll have some music and some time for you to respond. But as we do, I want to ask, can I get you to ponder just this one question? Because I can't see it. Only you can see it. But ask yourself this, am I aligned with Christ's purpose for my life? For each and every one of us, do we understand that our life is not our own? It's a gift from God. And so so we need to die to living for selfish purposes or even good purposes or even noble-sounding purposes when we should be seeking the very best purpose. Would we commit this week to spending some time alone with God and seeking some solitude so he can help us focus on his purpose for our lives? So we can bring God the glory that he deserves by going out and casting that gospel net all around us? By spreading the message, by becoming fishers of people? Because at the end of our lives, let's be honest, we're not going to be measured by any success that we think we've achieved. We're not going to be measured by how much money we have or how many degrees we've earned or how high we've climbed up some corporate ladder or any external thing 
we're going to be measured. We're going to be measured by whether we faithfully used whatever things God has given us to further His kingdom. Right? So let's go fishing together. For God's glory. Let's be used by God to cast that gospel net over our friends and our family and the folks we love and our neighbors because they're spiritually dead. He wants to make them alive. Make us be ushered into the kingdom of God for all eternity. We can be part of that. Let me pray. (sighs) Daddy, we thank you for your word, for this challenge. God, help us to see that your desire is for us to align our purposes with yours. God, you've come and it's so clear you're going to be about teaching, preaching the gospel message. You're going to be about drawing people to yourself. And as Christ followers, we can join you in that. With our lives, with the gifts you've given us, the talents, the abilities, we can bring you glory in this greatest of purposes. God, help us to be the kind of local church that does that for your glory, not for our own. God, help us to seek solitude. Help us to seek time with you so you can help us focus on that purpose. God, as we take the bread and the cup, help us to remember what it costs. It costs everything. God, we love you. And so we lay everything at your feet. And we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.